1: Yo, yo, what's going on? I'm Peter J. Kim, and this is Counter Jam, the new podcast on Food 52's podcast network that explores culture through food and music. Each episode is going to focus on one cultural identity, and on this first episode, we are talking Korean food, kimchi jjigae, favorite instant ramen hacks, and the joys of having a stinky refrigerator with Chef Roy Choi, comedian Margaret Cho, and one of my favorite people on the planet, my mom. In between, we'll be spinning some tunes from Korean American artists, including one song from Yours Truly. That's right. And to kick things off, we'll listen to a song by Clara, a wildly talented Korean American artist I discovered on YouTube. And this song is just so damn danceable. So turn the volume up and enjoy My Kind of Lovin' by Clara. My Kind of Lovin' by Clara Check her out on YouTube at Clara the Artist and I definitely recommend checking out the music video for that song because it's pretty amazing Before we dive into things, I wanted to introduce myself Hi, I'm Peter, I'm Korean American born and raised in small town Illinois I live in Brooklyn now and I head up food content at Pinterest and as some of you may know before that, I led the team that created the Museum of Food and Drink here in New York City I'm also an amateur, emphasis on the amateur, musician. I sing, I play guitar, I did the whole Korean violin and piano thing growing up, and many moons ago I used to MC, DJ, and produce beats here and there. You'll hear an example of that later in this episode, I promise. All this goes to show, I am so excited about kicking off this show, which brings together two of my favorite things in the world, food and music. I don't know about you folks, but... My dream evening is being with friends, enjoying a nice dinner, letting the wine flow, and listening to good music. Now, the focal point of Counter Jam is culture and identity. So I figured it'd be appropriate to start off looking at my own food culture in all of its stinky, fermented, fishy beauty. Korean food. I talked to star chef Roy Choi of Kogi Barbecue and The Chef Show about a situation involving Korean food where, shall we say, the odorous got in the way of the amorous.
0: Let me first preface it by this. I was aware of the smells of my home and the dead fish hanging from my trees from a very very early age. So I consciously didn't bring a lot of people over. But then at a certain point, you know, that levee breaks and you just gotta bring some friends over, you know? And so I remember the first time I brought a few friends over and this girl that I really liked and things were going pretty good with me. And her and her friend and everything. And, you know, I, I was on the verge of, you know, like, you know, making a breakthrough. I was only like 14, yep. you know, yeah. <laughs> but I was on the verge of like feeling yep. good about myself. And then the day I brought them in my house, we we're going to kick it in the room and everything. And I opened the door and my mom was making chunggukjang at that time. <laughs> and for those of you don't know, that's fermented... Dirty ass armpit, fucking un, un, under the scrotum, inside the asshole, fermented soybean shit, you know. And that thing just—it's it, like if skunk was a soup, it would be like it gets into everything, every fiber of your your hair, your clothes, your the furniture, and you can't you can't get there's no way. There, there's no potpourri or, or, or air freshener that can like cut through this. So,
1: and then you got cock blocked by a, a stinky soup. I did, man. And the
0: tough thing is, is like, <laughs> it, it all came the way that our house was. And I think my mom had the heater on and the way that our house was, when you open the front door, all of the smell of the house funneled through the front door. and uh <laughs> And yeah, it was, that was my first experience. I looked back and it was like a movie. I looked back and I saw their face. There was four of us, there was three of them, and I saw their faces and I just it felt like slow motion, and their faces just turned from like yeah, it was just uh, it was the most uh, horrifying. I've got like a hair appointment uh, <laughs> yeah. I gotta like run yeah, so, it, was, uh... <laughs> it was the most horrifying face I had ever seen but and um yeah, it was definitely a bloomhouse oh, horror movie um
1: by the way, but, Roy. That's got to be like the first line of your your mem- your uh, the next memoir you write, which will be I was aware of the smells of my house and the dead fish hanging from my th- from <laughs> yeah, my trees. That, that, that's, that's, really my, that's gonna be on my
0: tombstone. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, outside of that, I didn't have many personal experiences. I you know I've been with friends and stuff where you know I take my friends to go get haircuts because they're cheaper at, at, at a lot of Korean places. And what happens is in the elevator, like some of the older ladies, they burp. And that shit just fills up the the elevator or, or when you oh, get yeah. your haircut, and then the lady was just making kimchi before, you know, or whatever. And then like she's cutting your hair and then like the fingertips smell like kimchi, things like that. And then, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. Oh, man. So, so a lot of that type of little stuff that you grow up with that, that, <laughs> that you kind of like don't really notice because it's like second nature. Oh, man. But then when you introduce a friend to it for the first time, they're like, what the
1: fuck? When you talk about it, I'm like, I've got like this memory of burps and like fingers that um <laughs> come through my burps head. Burps and fingers. And then, That's a good name for a restaurant too. Burps and fingers. There you go. There you go. Um, also my my next uh, hip hop album. But yeah, no, I, I, I also, I came to a realization in my adulthood about fruit and that I realized that from all of my childhood, my fruit tasted like garlic. Oh yeah. And it was like, and like my apple slices always had like a garlic taste to it. And once I realized that I should be cutting my fruit on like a separate cutting board, it like opened up the world to me loving fruit in a whole new way because I just realized I'd been having like this like garlicky ass fruit my entire fruit. life because yeah. we used the same cutting board for kimchi. Yeah, again,
0: uh, again, all of us Asian kids grow up with that type of stuff, whether, you know, you're Southeast Asian and, uh, you know, your, your cereal bowls taste like fish, fish sauce or Korean and your, yeah. your fruit tastes like kimchi. My milkshakes used to taste like kimchi because, you know, that, that would be where they puree everything. And then, you know, you can't, wa- you can't wash that flavor out, that <laughs> smell out. So then you just grab it and you pour it in and make a milkshake. And yep. then you're like, oh.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but you don't, I mean, like, you don't know any better. I mean, at least when I was a kid, it's like, that's just how it was. You know, my oranges tasted kind of like garlic. Next up, Margaret Cho, who for me is perhaps one of the most influential Asian American comics of all time. She laid the foundation for Asian American comedy back when there weren't that many of us in the game. It turns out she's a pretty mean cook, so we started things out by talking about dolsot Bibimbap, which is a classic Korean dish with an array of vegetables, meat, a sunny-side-up egg, and gochujang. All served in a screaming hot stone bowl, which gives the rice a crunchy edge that we call nurungji. Here's how Margaret rocks her
2: well, I do um, the doso with any kind of vegetables that I have, which depends on what I'm getting, but usually like zucchini and carrot. And that's just really fried with a little bit of uh, toasted sesame oil and then mushrooms with a little bit of kanjang. And then mm. I'll put in like a different mix of meats. So I'll either do the uh, Ninja Foodie changjirim. Which I what made. is the
1: ninja foodie changjirim?
2: That's a recipe that I developed because I think that I like changjirim, but it's also like so tough to me when it's just boiled. So you boy you know, you like soak it and then boil out. Like kind of, I I, I didn't like the texture. So I've done changjirim sous vide.
1: And actually, for our listeners, could you just actually explain what changjirim is?
2: Changjirim is a braised meat. It's braised beef. Like, it's almost like a preserved beef in soy sauce, but it's not exactly preserved. It's just um, salty, super salty. And it's a panchan, and you usually, which is a side dish for Korean food, and you usually um, eat it cold, actually. But I um, found it just to be tough, and I could never get the texture of my Hanmini's tangjin, which was perfect, with the shisito peppers, and everything was perfect. And so I decided to do it sous vide, um oh nice then, nice nice which is good and then um but then the ninja foodie the, fr- the pressure cooker seems to work it really well but then i can't get the kanjang smell out of the ceramic pot <laughs> so it's got to be like a dedicated i can do kalbi chim i can do anything soy sauce based so i probably do an adobo in the ninja right. foodie now <laughs> but it's useless now for anything else
1: I already have my set of jars and containers that are like kimchi only because you can't put anything else in there that you don't want to taste like kimchi when it comes out.
2: Well, everything... I think that I'm at the stage now where I would have to get a separate uh, kimchi refrigerator. I don't even know where that would go. (laughs) But I mean, I'm so Korean. I have a skincare, a K-Beauty refrigerator (laughs) for my (laughs) Korean skincare. So I should have... a. You know, a kimchi... I mean, there there are really fancy kimchi refrigerators you can get.
1: Ah, uh, yes. The Korean-American refrigerator. You've got your all-American staples, milk, eggs, orange juice, and the like. But then you've got the Korean, shall I say, funk.
2: They would empty out the Skippy jars and then put deer blood in there. <laughs> 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 so, like... You know, you, you just could not have kids, like white kids from school, open the refrigerator. They could come over, but they couldn't open the refrigerator because it was just like the kimchi and the deer blood, but in skippy jars. <laughs> it's like really terrifying.
1: I can totally relate to this. Opening a fridge in a Korean-American household is like a game of refrigerator punked. That container might say yogurt on it, but chances are 50-50 that there's actually yogurt in there. Not only that, but at least where I grew up, Korean-American homes almost always had a kimchi fridge out in the garage. I talked to an expert on the kimchi fridge, a wonderful, brilliant woman named Young Ja Kim, a.k.a. my mom, a.k.a. as we say in Korean, Oma!
3: That way your house doesn't smell like kimchi. And uh, so we had to keep the kimchi separate from the uh, kitchen refrigerator. And we also pickled a lot.
1: My mom was born before the Korean War, so of course, she didn't exactly grow up with a refrigerator in a garage. I asked her how my grandma used to make kimchi back in Korea.
3: We buy cabbage and radish from the farm because it's fresh here that way. Bring it home, wash it with water, and then uh, we will um, brine it with salt overnight. make sure that it's mixed well and next day we will uh, make a filling to make this kimchi with uh, uh, radish, ginger, lots of garlic, red pepper flakes, ginger, I said the ginger, and fish sauce, salt and mix it all together and we will put that between each uh leaves of the cabbage and just store it in the big urn and dig the hole on the ground and bury it there so it doesn't get frozen because we did not have any refrigerator at the time. And then cover it with the dried um dried uh what is it? leaves or branches so it doesn't freeze. And each meal, we will go down there and pick one up. And it'll taste like very tangy, very carbonated, very um, cold, very good.
1: You know, I've come to think of that kimchi fridge as something of a portal back home. That humming white box in the garage is the modern American version of earthenware jars of kimchi buried underground. And so it goes. Traditions change, but in many ways, their essence stays intact. Margaret's family certainly held on to a lot of traditions, too.
2: Every time we went on a vacation, which would be like because we grew up in San Francisco, so we'd go to like Yosemite or something like that. They would that would actually be like a grocery trip because they would be foraging for different things oh like God. fern break, you know, gosari, and oh, yeah. um, getting river rocks to use uh, to smash garlic to uh, do all sorts of things so a lot of it was like this foraging trips or even if like they were going to Golden Gate Park they would pick things that I don't even know what they are and then they would wind up in Punchan. so a lot of the the sort of like any kind of excursion had to do with the gathering of food because they're my my family's like real they're real like village they're like real like not Seoul people, not even Pusan people. There, I right. don't even know where. They're, they're like, it's like they're probably they're in the biggest the soap city.
1: Opera in the soap opera, they're in the village, like the thatched roofs and yeah, like, you where know. like
2: the, the the square in the middle where the house is sort of around and everybody's sitting on the the sort of edge of those like they're almost right. like porches, but they're um, it's very old fashioned. So. And then um, they actually made chang, So they made a tenjang and gochujang, which tenjang to me, it takes a year. I don't think I have oh, yeah. the patience and you got to tie up the bricks and oh yeah, it's so much.
1: I mean, that's why I, 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 I always get annoyed when people totally equate miso and tenjang because it's just a very different process.
2: It's different. I mean, I think that it's like maybe to uh, somebody to say, well, it's just a fermented bean paste, but it's 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 just actually quite a lot more involved. I mean, tenjang is so then the flavors you really it. It's very deep and subtle.
1: And if you know Margaret's comedy, then you definitely know Margaret's mom. One of your your classic bits is, of course, doing an impression of your mom, uh, you know, I, I still I still laugh my ass off thinking of you going moran. moran! <laughs> I what? mean people must like shout that to you on the street.
2: Yes. It's great. <laughs> it's great. That's my Korean name, Chomoran. <laughs> um, which is actually kind of uncommon. Usually it's miran in Korea. But moran yeah. is the way that my dad wanted to do it. Moran, but it's hard growing up as a kid. In the 70s, with a name that sounds like moron, you know? Right. It sucked.
1: I think about, like, the, especially in, in the Korean accent, the, one of my favorite parts is the, you know what I mean? <laughs>
2: like, they just use it, as, it's almost like, um, Accents in Chinese—they they do the the emphasis on that. It's sort of to denote uh, a kind of um, I think a, a, a large S of what's happening. The the, um, the drama is enhanced by the.
1: <sighs> oh yeah, uh, and the eyes get smaller as the <sighs> gets more intense, yeah. right? And you kind of do the <laughs> head tilt too.
2: <laughs> 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 it's always like. <laughs> And then you see it a lot, like, I mean, how they, they just use it because uh, Korean is really mostly uh, active in, like, active listening so that you'll hear, like, ooh, ooh. Like, when you're talking, they actively receive your your words by ooh. And so it's really, it's very active, yeah.
1: So I, I, I saw that you had written in to Angry Asian Man uh, which is this great uh, uh, a blog, and you had written something that really resonated with me. It sa- you said, I am angry that I was bullied for having dried squid in my lunchbox. <laughs> the kimchi fermenting in my childhood home scared and repulsed my white friends. But now white people are all obsessed with Asian food because Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace, told them it was good. And you've said, in, parenthetically, I must clarify that I love Anthony Bourdain. It's just that no one liked our food until a white guy told them it was good. Mm-hmm. So that really, you know, resonated with me. And I, I want you to unpack that a little bit. What was sort of behind what you what you wrote there?
2: Well, I think it's really like that. It, I remember, you know, growing up and being really embarrassed about what I would bring for school and, um, you know, the, the kinds of... Um, foods that other kids had. They had like Hostess and like Twinkies and like they would have like a a Coke, a full-size Coke wrapped in tinfoil and all this stuff. Oh my and, God. you know, we would never, ever get anything like that. I mean, the most Western maybe would be um, the potato salad with apple in it and egg, which is kind <laughs> yeah. of a Korean potato salad. So yep. it was deeply embarrassing. And then now cu- cut to... Uh, now well, you know when Anthony Bourdain was alive, there, his picture would be at the front of Beverly Sundubu, which is a very famous um, Sundubu restaurant, and um, you know they treat they sort of treated like him as kind of like this messenger of Korean food. Him and Jonathan Gold, I think, and and, and Andrew Zimmern all really were talking about how great Korean food was. Go beyond uh barbecue go beyond right. kalbi and Bogogi, and let's go into the stews and the soups and the things that are really i think the heart of korean cooking which is so good right. i'm glad because they really got a lot of business from it but yeah. it's like they never believed us <laughs> when we were kids that it was good
1: oh i know and you know it's funny i i think you know you're right that the tide has started to turn on this but it's funny you know i was just talking to my mom and my mom had a knee replacement surgery recently. And so she's now going through physical therapy. And her physical therapist comes, you know, every few days to come help her uh, recover. And she told me the other day that, oh, I, I I can't eat kimchi tonight. And I can't eat kimchi tomorrow because the physical therapist is coming tomorrow. And I don't want to oh. offend mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And this is classic. My parents are always like, they're always like, when, before they eat kimchi, they do like a mental like checklist of, who am I going to see in the next twenty four hours? And is there, are there any sensitive, delicate, non Korean like noses that are going to be offended by this? I asked my mom about this.
3: This a therapist. His name is Robert. He asked me whether I make kimchi, and I eat kimchi. <laughs> so I told him, "Yes, I do make kimchi, but I didn't eat it last night and today because I'm seeing you for treatment." He goes. Oh, you didn't have to do that, you know. I don't mind. Maybe he was a polite.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if you think about it, I I don't I imagine that a lot of say German-American families don't stop and think, "Oh, I'm not going to eat sauerkraut today because there's you know, I'm worried of, of about offending somebody." What you know, where do you think that this idea of kind of avoiding gim- kimchi when you're seeing non-Koreans like comes from?
3: You know, I know it smells, and it has curling in it, and I just don't want to don't want to you know come across as smelly Korean to other people. Yeah. It's just etiquette, and I still keep it that way.
2: I think for my family too, there was you know, this kind of thing of like my dad has no accent whatsoever, and they went through this period, I think, in the eighties, of like real aspirational whiteness where they really wanted to try to not sort of appear Asian. So, like, my dad had a um, had a job where he was the auditor at um insurance firm, so he had to watch everyone. So it was kind of this weird thing of, like, he wanted to be sort of very friendly appearing, so they wouldn't um, kind of, like, you know, he wouldn't be so othered as being Asian and also being the auditor. So there was this thing of, you know, like, being very careful about... The smells and the sort of a- arena that you're going to be in after you've eaten kimchi.
1: Times have changed and kimchi is more accepted now, but there's still plenty of stigma to go around. Not too long ago, I remember something that happened at an office I worked at. I brought in some kimchi jjigae, a kimchi stew, for lunch and I heated it up in the kitchen. Within a matter of minutes, there was a hubbub around the entire building. People were opening windows and talking loudly about how it smelled like a rat had died in the kitchen. I mean, I get that kimchi is smelly, but really, a dead rat? In that moment, I felt profoundly uncomfortable. And damn, isn't it a tragedy when you feel shame about your food? Something so intrinsic to who you are. Next up, we're going to chat with Chef Roy Choi, coming up after this. But first, we're going to listen to a tune by the talented Korean-American rapper Dan aka Dan. Dan was adopted into a non-Korean family and his music explores the complex issues of identity that rise out of that. You can learn more about him and his story by looking up Dan aka Dan on YouTube. This song has a dope, steady groove and it's called Escape from Hell
3: anymore. I'm running in circles when I'm not on the floor Finding that I'm starting to wonder who or why I do this for Cause lately I'm so settled down that it makes me no better now Than when I first came up into town, had anxiety and I wore it proud Came my sound and I wrote it out with bright eyes and leather bound But a lot's changed but a lot now, do I
0: quit now, do I double down? Cause nowadays all I wanna do is seek safety, get out of view Which creatively as I'm talking through is a death wish I'm pursuit What I'm trying to do is get back in view where I first began, get yeah, act two Try to start anew but the fact remains my attitude is an act two But I wear this shit like a tattoo, hard on my sleeve, these wraps grew from lessons learned in heart. These circumstances I tap too, cause I needed this. Needed, this, needed, this, needed this To escape through these songs, man, I'm bleeding this yeah. And what I write is feeding this. I've never been so ready to be leaving this All behind Hello,
1: can you hear me? I'm calling you from here On the open road To tell you that
0: No matter what you
3: say, you won't change my
1: Let's talk about a dish that I think lies at the heart and soul of Korean cuisine. And in my mind, how you prepare this dish is a window into your soul. Instant ramyun. Oh, I get all tingly just thinking about it. A fried noodle cake, a packet of soup powder, a packet of dried vegetables. It's perfection in a few packets. If you're Korean American and you're listening to this, you know you can probably make this in your sleep. I talked to star chef Roy Choi and asked him if he liked eating instant ramyun.
0: Yeah, I I've always called it like our peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's for a lot of Asian, especially Korean American kids, Asian American kids. It's the it's the one thing you could grab at any time, middle of the night, college, growing up, after school, breakfast, whatever it is. Um, and again, as easy as making uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich would be for us opening the packet, boiling water the three minute the three yeah. you know there are certain terminologies within it that are in, are ingrained yeah, yeah, in yeah. our in our upbringing and in our consciousness as korean american and asian american kids like three minutes noodles before before sauce packet or sauce packet before noodles it's like uh yep. also you know like don't overcook the noodles and then it's like the i think it's like yeah. the first time a lot of kids learn how to cook with the chopstick and it's like literally that one moment where you kind of twirl it around and disperse the pop, the powder. It's almost like you, you feel like you've done something, you know, even if you've never done anything in your life, you know, and it's, uh, it's a, it's a good confidence booster for, (laughs) (laughs) for the, uh, you know, the psyche and the the human spirit of, of a lot of Asian American kids.
1: I mean, what's cool is like, yeah, it's just like you said, it's kind of like a training wheels, like cooking moment for people who are just getting started. But it's a, it's, it's a dish that grows with you, so even if you become an accomplished chef such as yourself, you can still, you can still rock instant ramyun.
0: Well, I've taken it everywhere from adding cheese to it, you know, American slices of American cheese, uh, all the way yeah. to making it into a full-blown restaurant-level dish, um, whether it's morphing it into things like kudejige, you know, or, mm. or just making it its own you know, thing by adding rice cakes, scallions, sesame seeds, oh, a yeah. little drizzled sesame oil, different types of herbs and um, vegetables inside and, you know, things like that, uh, different hot sauces. But there's so many different ways, especially coming from LA, you know, like there's a whole culture of adding hot sauce and tapatillo to your to, to instant ramen. Yep. Uh grinding uh chicharones inside of it. Um the, the the number one most basic hack is always like adding cheese to it, you know. Um yeah, yeah. And I I put a version of that in in my book, and I also did some demos. Like you can find it online
1: if you just Google like instant ramen
0: with cheese. Um, but yeah, that's the most basic hack right
1: there. Yeah, one of my favorite uses of American cheese with instant ramen. First of all, for me, it's it's pretty much always Shin ramen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll I'll. I mess around with some of the other ones, but um, I always come back home to Shin yeah. Ramyun. But it's um, I'll take a bowl, and I could do this like with my eyes closed. But I will, you know, open the the powder packet, put it into the bowl, and then I will uh, take an egg, separate out the yolk, and drop the yolk into the bowl, and then I'll leave an American a slice of American cheese or two into that bowl, and then cook the noodles, get them you know al dente, and then uh, simmer the egg white with that. And then pull the whole thing out, and then just drop that into that bowl, and the heat and the noodle water come together with the egg yolk and the American cheese to make sort of like a carbonara-like sauce. Wow. Um, and it's more of like a dry, it's more of like a dry uh-huh. application of instant of instant ramen. And so like, but it makes this amazing creamy sauce of just like the uh-huh. yolk and the American cheese and the powder. And then my pièce de résistance <laughs> is taking the dried veg and dropping that on top for a little textural note and just wow. leaving it dried. I'm
0: going to try that. I'm going to try that after <laughs> this pot. I got a pack of shin ramen. And Do it. Okay, I, I understood what you said. Egg yolk on the bottom with the pat and just the the hot noodles and then mix it like a carbonara. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whatever the whatever water just is, is clean to the noodles is going to okay. give it enough to just kind of like give it that like sauciness. Wow. So it's it's pretty That's dope. Smart. Give it a whirl. I, and the, the upside of that is you can also eat it extremely quickly. I mean, I can already eat a bowl of, yeah. of like soup instant ramen really quickly but when there's no soup involved it's just probably like
0: like three yeah probably (laughs) like three gulps you could finish the whole bowl
1: (laughs) i actually just ate a bowl before our interview i have to admit um i I did a just big ass knob knob of butter in at the end which like that's pretty outstanding that's a good one yeah so
0: you want you you want to rank five to ten ramens for you so shin is at the top. Shin regular is at the top.
1: For yeah, you? yeah. I would say shin is at the top. I like nuguri, um, and then yeah, if, I go, um, if I have to go, if I have to go non, let's do top five
0: dead or alive. So you got you got <laughs> shin and nobody. What,
1: what what's three? I'm like I'm definitely like a nongshim fanboy. So I would actually say chapagetti is right okay. up there after that. And then if I have to go like non spicy, I I'm, I like Sapporo ichiban, um, and then. Okay. Uh, and then, you know what? Like, I don't have an, I don't know any particular ones, but like those like Indonesian ones that are like, they, oh, yeah. they have like all those kinds of good. like, I mean, at least from for me, who's less familiar with the, with the cuisine, it's like just a more interesting uh, flavor profile. So, okay. what, what about you?
0: Uh, mine's very similar. I would say, you know, the same with uh, shin. I like a gin ramyun as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I, I mix it up in between like, I would say like two and four are uh, cup ramens. And cup ramens aren't that popular, but you, again, I'm from LA, yeah, so yeah. there's a certain style that we eat, just a straight up cup of noodles and like a top ramen. Um, and that's just something like nostalgic that we grew up with. So I would say, even though a cup a cup of noodles, instant cup of noodles, doesn't compare to like a really well-made like shin and no goodie and gin ramen. Yeah. And, you know, snack ramen is dope too. Yeah. Snack ramen cups. Um, but when you add... That tapatio in there, oh yeah, a little bit of tagine and a big
1: squeeze of lime, yeah, yeah, up in that motherfucker, man, you know, you slurp <laughs> that thing. <laughs> I feel you, you know what I mean? And it's like the yeah. it's the vessel too. It's like that like little cup, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah. yeah, And like when you say that, I mean, honestly, like one of the first things that comes to mind is like the dried corn and peas in the cup noodle, which like, yeah, it's, it's like such a particular flavor and it's so linked to cup ramen. And like, I love it. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, yeah, it's, that cup is
0: so, and then after you finish, it becomes either an ashtray or uh, <laughs> we can spit sunflower seeds into, you know? So yeah, it's yeah.
1: just, there you go. Yeah. It's every, it's everything. <laughs> the world in a cup, man. The world in a cup. Can you put it any better than that? I asked Roy about how his family came over to the U.S.
0: You know, my parents came here when I was two years old. We came straight to Koreatown. Uh, at that time, Koreatown was just developing. So it wasn't the, the behemoth. Crazy. It wasn't the behemoth that it is now. You know, right now, L.A. Koreatown is probably as large as, like, lower Manhattan, you know, um, yeah. and so... It wasn't like that. It was literally like one or two markets, two or three restaurants, you know, maybe a couple like you know pharmacies or service centers here or there. But literally, you could count the amount of like merchant shops that encompass Koreatown on on one hand or two hands. And we started our life. It was uh you know I you know obviously I was just a little kid, but I was very aware from the time I was young, and um, I just remember I remember the. Um, the poetry and the and, and the beauty of of the dichotomy of life at that time, because again, yeah. there there weren't that many Asians, you know, in America at that right. time, and it wasn't there wasn't um, there weren't many things to to find solace or or safety or or warmth in. So what happens? what I'm leaning towards is that you had to live kind of these double, triple, quadruple lives. And so a lot, of, a lot of the Korean American immigrants at that time had to find whatever job was out there, um, just like mm-hmm. any new immigrant that comes to the country, right? And you're just developing your community, your areas, your connections, your networks, but at the same time, you all have to kind of like fend for yourselves. Mm-hmm. But then, um, and then figure out this world where the language is different, people look at you a certain way, and treating you a certain way oh, yeah. and then and then being very and then the asian kind of like and then that mix that cocktail mix with the whole asian personality of kind of being quiet yeah. and being invisible you know and just kind of getting through just not you know doing the work but not causing too much trouble yeah. figuring out but then on the weekend i remember you know so there was that life where everything was kind of like let's just keep your head down don't, you know don't cause any trouble just let let's get by and then on the weekend, I remember everyone coming together, whoever whoever was around at that time. And, the, and then over the years, I saw that grow and grow yeah, and grow, yeah. obviously. But we'd end up at the parks and, you know, um, everyone, it would be like a potluck. Everyone would bring their kimchi, yeah. their kaiwis, their rices, their duck, the rice cakes, whatever it is. And then they'd play baseball, soccer, kids would run around. And that was the growing up, you know, that was the time to be Korean, Mm, you know? yeah and then we, and then it would be like everyone give each other a pound, then you go back <laughs> you go back to your regular life, that's right and, and they just look for the weekend that, That's yeah. how it was in the early days.
1: I could relate to this. I grew up in the cornfields of Danville, Illinois. There weren't a lot of Korean families around, and my parents really adopted Midwestern culture. So my diet growing up was equal parts, stuff like casseroles and hamburger helper, or dinty more beef stew, which I love, on the one hand. And Korean food on the other. Like Chef Roy, a weekend ritual was the church potluck, which is when all the Korean families got together and chowed down. Here's my mom's take on it.
3: I think Korean church was sort of a gathering place for Korean people, whether they are Christian or not. They all came and they brought their dish and we shared. And I, do you remember we oh, yeah. had lots of meals at our house? Yeah. Uh and that way uh we shared Korean food and our emotions and you know, our memory. So that was that was a real valuable gathering for Korean people uh to get together and share our common backgrounds. And people came from all over, Indiana, northern Illinois, southern Illinois. And, uh, they all really enjoyed getting together there.
1: Can you remember some of the dishes that people would bring? I feel like I remember always seeing a certain kind of menu at these potlucks.
3: Korean pancake, which is a ground mung bean with pork and, uh, bean sprouts and, you know, onions put in there. And then we, we make it just like a pancake. But it's not like American pancake. This is, um, this is like, a, I don't know how to say it, food or whatever.
1: Yeah, you don't put squid in American pancakes, for example.
3: Squid in whatever <laughs> you have on hand. Uh, and we always had um, uh, Korean dumpling mandu, either stir fried or steamed, and chop che. Uh, it's bean bread noodle mixed with meat and vegetables.
1: To this day, The smell that brings me back to the Korean church potlucks of my youth is the smell of dried shiitake mushrooms, rehydrated and stir-fried. You know, they they just have that really particular smell that fresh shiitakes just don't have. I don't know why, but that aroma, it just always brings me back. Anyway, I talked to Roy about some of the food he ate growing up.
0: Our house was a perpetual living kitchen so what i mean by that is that my whole life ever since i remember growing up it, it it's not i never woke up to a kitchen where like you know the countertops were completely empty and everything was right. put away you know and my life was a sourdough a sourdough starter that could be a good metaphor for my life because it was always like something right. was always building so there was always something on the stove there was always things that. like open on the counter there was always things uh, fermenting or marinating on the floor. And, you know, that that's just I've never I never um experienced or grew up in a situation where things were pristine.
1: What were some of your family meals like at home?
0: Uh you know, uh, again, it was a it was a constant evolving there would always be yeah. like three or four stews or, or or soups on the stove, whether that would be uh kai bi tang or kai bi jim or yeah. Uh, fish soup like sengsang or kimchi or tenjang There would also be like um, broiled mackerel and different, there would be uh, salted croaker and fish hanging from our clotheslines at all times. Dra- dra- <laughs> nice. There would be uh, kimchi, different porridges and rice. You know, we'd have maybe two or three different rices and two or three different porridges, um, all kinds of panchan and kimchis and vegetables and namur. And there would be, um, instant ramen so a, a breakfast would be you know most likely a stew maybe some fried fish oh, man. a bowl of rice some panchan yeah. also mixed with maybe like a you know like a quesadilla and like a a bowl of cereal you know so yeah you know it, it, <laughs> it was, it was kind of like it was always kind of mashed and mixed up together i
1: mean everything you just said there i was like going on this sort of like sense memory tour in my brain, just smelling all those things. Just when you say dried squid and that really particular smell of dried squid. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got me thinking, it it just brought me back to something. I actually, one of the things I just hated actually about uh, Korean meals, which is uh, barley tea. Oh yeah. Um, And it's like, for, for those who aren't like super familiar with Korean cuisine, you know, uh, at least in my experience, there's not a lot of water around when people are eating yeah. um people drink this bodicha which is yeah this barley tea and uh i love it today but like when i was a kid it was like annoying to me that the only thing i could ever drink if i was thirsty was this damn barley tea it was, it, like i couldn't just get like a it was horrible it was horrible for kids
0: it, it, it was like <laughs> it was like old three stooges or like little rascals shows of like drinking castor oil yeah. like that's like <laughs> That was the imagination of a kid like opening his refrigerator and not seeing anything other than this brown water. Yeah,
1: I want Sunny D, you know, and like instead I've got yeah. like brown grain liquid that's like bitter and not at all sweet. Um, of course, like older me now, like I love the stuff, yeah. but. <laughs> you could you could open a cha shop in Brooklyn. <laughs> that would be a great irony if I did that. Like. Kill it, you would kill it. <laughs> Crush it. You know what I'll do is I'll, I'll start calling it grain broth. And different, we'll...
0: different shades of it, different levels of it.
1: <laughs> if any of you take this idea for a grain broth store and run with it, don't forget to shout out me and Roy. One of my favorite questions to ask people is what their desert island comfort dish would be. So I asked Roy what his desert island Korean comfort dish would be. It has to be kimchi jjigae, right? I mean, I mean,
0: if that was the only Korean dish that you could eat, it has to be, it has to be kimchi
1: jjigae. I feel that, man. I've got my special pot of kimchi that I like get extra funky for the purpose of making kimchi jjigae. And when my parents come and visit, that's what I make.
0: It's the most uh, upcycled dish that, that we have as a culture because it's the yeah. kitchen sink dish because you save everything, all different types of kimchi from every restaurant you've ordered and everyone, one <laughs> that you bought. And then though you know, all of them. Yeah kind of come together at the end they meet they meet the end of their life together into the stew every single kimchi that that comes into your life at whatever point it is in your life
1: wow what a beautiful poetic way to encapsulate the essence of kimchi jjigae i asked margaret the same question if you were on a deserted island and you could only eat one korean dish for the rest of your life what would it be
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I think it would be toso bibimbap. I mean, because it's got so much in it and and that you could do it on a desert island because you just build a fire, you get a rock and maybe just (laughs) put stuff on it. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, you go like swimming and then you grab whatever seafood you can get or seaweed and just throw it on there. And so if I could have like a big crock of like tenjang, then I could, you know, not tenjang, uh, gochujang then I could figure it out. But yeah, that, I think that's that would be my favorite.
1: And just kill a deer for a little nightcap after that.
2: Little bit of blood, you know, <laughs> get the horn, just suck on the horn. My mom would get like the deer horn and like suck on it. And we're like, what is that, g- Candy? No, oh, no, no, this deer horn, see this horn, horn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, all right. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I'd play a song of my own and it turns out that Chef Roy asked me about my music. So you, you said you said you're an
0: MC a couple times. Right. What's your what's your MC name?
1: Oh man! So I used to go by Omega Sixty, I and like the reason for that is because there's this movie I like. So I'm kind of like a a, a film nerd also. But there's a film called Welcome to Alphaville oh, yeah. by uh, Godard, oh. and the film. In that, in that movie, there's a supercomputer named Alpha 60. Alpha 60 has taken over the world and as part of its agenda is, uh, has, is erasing art and sort of feeling from the human experience. And so um, I, this is a long story behind this, but I lived in, so I did the Peace Corps and I lived in Central Africa for two and a half years where I was like in a tiny rural village, no water, no electricity, so on. And I came back to the US after that. And coming back to the US after that experience was such a crazy reentry. I was there was just so much friction with just being back and like seeing like the medicine ads, the ads everywhere, like the consumerism, the just the sheer number of toothpastes yeah. you could choose yeah. from. And I felt like the the country had been taken over by Alpha Sixty. Uh. And that was my experience. And so then I thought, okay, what's the counter to Alpha 60? It's Omega 60. So the idea behind Omega 60 was to be like the countering force to all that seeks to destroy art in the world. That's dope, man. Uh, And then, and then I recorded like three tracks.
0: (laughs) That's that's a great conceptual, uh, you know, philosophical perspective in, in, in art form.
1: So. To close things out for this episode, I'm gonna play a song called Welcome to Alphaville by Omega 60. Me. And it's a song about how messed up the US can feel after you've spent a few years away from it. Straight up, I am nervous about doing this because there are maybe 10 or 20 people in the world who have never heard the song. It's a little dark, but uh, yeah, check it out. Yep. A silly fool stuck in a mental vestibule tool, a card, a widget, a gadget. originality, I pitch it then I switch it, from your mind frame in my game of disdain, fill your head with thoughts that are tame, in game, the neurons in your cranium, don't start And they need a rest, I guess you know it's for the best, relax my friends, sit back or unwind, let the sunshine keep pouring out the wine, your mind, emphasize and underline. what's blind, trapped in my paradigm. To my guests, Margaret Cho, Chef Roy Choi, and my mom. Shout out to Clara and Dan, aka Dan, for providing the music. Shout out to Coral Lee and the Food 52 team. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you all on the next episode of Counter Jam.